Hi, this is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is May 6, 2019. Uh, it was a beautiful weekend in many places around the uh, country. Um, I have a couple of folks on the line that I'd love to be able to participate in this week's um, podcast. We actually haven't done a, a, a more insights and strategy specific podcast in the last uh, couple of months, but I'm pleased to have Will Townsend and Anshel Sag who is our two uh, intrepid uh, analysts uh, at the firm, Will and Anshel, please introduce yourselves. Hi, uh, this is Anshel. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Mark. Uh, I'm uh, more insights and strategy analyst, and I'm always happy to be on the podcast. Thank you. Will. Yeah, Will Townsend here, Mark. Good to talk again. I cover networking infrastructure for the firm, and I've been on the road for the last several weeks and look forward to sharing some of my insights. Well, I don't believe that. I think you were at the Kentucky Derby over the weekend, and I th- and I think you lost the boatload. Did you lose the boatload? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I drank I drank a lot of mint juleps as well. Wow. Well, there's a few people that made a lot of money, you know, on what uh, the craziness that happened over there. But in any event, we can talk about that a bit later. Um, a lot of things have been going on over the last couple of months. It seems like the world has changed in many ways in, in the um, in the tech world. Uh, but uh, let's start with Will because Will, I know you were. You spent some time at the that big Dell event uh, last week. There was a lot of news that came out of it. Uh, give us the highlights. Yeah, you know, so we were pretty uh, strong in force from the firm's perspective. So Patrick, our principal, was there along with uh, Matt and Steve that covers servers and storage. So uh, from a networking perspective, uh, two things that I noted. You know, one, um, Dell uh, is, is kind of refocusing their efforts in the enterprise networking space. They recently rebranded um, their switch uh, uh, set of solutions. Um, They're leveraging the power um, prefix, which uh, is commonplace when you look at storage and and, and the server products. So trying to bring that into alignment. Um, Focused on, you know, some third-party announcements as well with uh, Big Switch Networks. And Dell really focuses on uh, open networking, the programmability of their their products. But I felt the switch announcement was a little little light. Um, I felt it was just sort of a rebranding effort. And mm-hmm. um, I actually spent time with uh, uh, the 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 executive that leads that business and provided some feedback around how I, I'd like to see some strengthening there when you look at what um, you know companies like Huawei want to do with in- integrating artificial intelligence, custom silicon into infrastructure products and even looking at companies like Cisco that are that are using um, their developer communities to really innovate on top of the platform. So that was the first observation. The second was uh, an announcement from their service provider uh, team. They've been at that for about two and a half years now and spoke to a couple of executives about what Dell wants to do to drive 5G use case and business development. And they announced a relationship with Orange, which uh, executives informed me is just the first. And they've identified 15 carriers globally that they want to go partner with. And, and this is not going to be uh, a cram the infrastructure you know, kind of down their throats. It's really a joint cooperative uh, engagement where where Dell wants to engage with uh, with these global carriers on developing useful five k five uh, g use cases um, and 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 looking at monetization opportunities and how they can kind of bring those to the surface. So I felt that that was really, really strong. Um, michael dell and 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 also Vice Chairman Jeff Clark spoke about 5G in numerous uh, venues um, on the big stage with us uh, in the analyst closed door sessions. 
I didn't really hear any talk around Wi-Fi 6, which, you know, that's mm-hmm. been sort of big news from the Arubas and the Cisco's of the world. But Dell was all about 5G, so I think they're right. they're going to bet big on 5G. Well, and, and they, you know, it's funny. They, they, you know, Dell has done such a remarkable job in reinventing itself. I mean, they, they've got, you know, they've, they've had their, their highs and lows. They've had a lot more highs and lows, actually, over the course yeah. of the company. But Michael has done a tremendous job there, you know, with taking the company private for a while. Then they've recently yeah. taken the company back public. And it's really started to pay dividends in terms of the investments they're making and, uh, and the partnerships that they're building. Wouldn't you agree with that? I agree with that. And the, the other thing that I'll note is that, you know, and what you're talking to, Mark, is, is Dell Technologies, you know, this collection of several companies that delivers, you know, real depth uh, in all of these areas, the core PC business, as well as virtualization with VMware. And then RSA, I mean, RSA is one of the leading companies from a cybersecurity perspective. And what, what Jeff and Michael spoke to was, this isn't a conglomerate of companies. The, the the, the desire is to truly integrate these solutions, deliver a hardware and software stack, and make it easier for customers to procure IT equipment uh, through the Dell Technologies portfolio. I would agree with you. It's been a resounding success. I mean, two things that I look at. Uh, number one, uh, when you look at Michael Dell's net worth, I think over the last year and a half, it went from 18 to 30 billion. So I think, you know, financially, it's he, he's done well, and, and that's, a, that's a marker, I think, of the... Uh, you know, kind of the, the result of, um, of all the work there. The other thing that's really interesting, you know, one of my other takeaways was when you look at the combined revenue of the Dell Technologies uh, portfolio, the, the, uh, the overall gross revenue now exceeds that of IBM. And here's what's interesting. That's unbelievable. You, when you just pause on that for a second, no, yeah. one would have belie- no one would have believed that five years ago that they would eclipse IBM, yeah. you know. It's unbelievable. I guess how- and guess how Michael got started back back in the the uh, the early '80s? He was souping up IBM PCs in his dorm room at my alma mater, UT Austin. And mm-hmm. now, who would have known that he started out doing that with IBM PCs, and that his his collection of companies with Dell Technologies would exceed the revenue of IBM? Right. Quite quite astounding. Right. And in, and in, and in full um, admission, my first PC. Because I was working for IBM as an intern back in that time frame was the uh, was before he created Dell Computers. We had a the brand was PC Limited, and my That's first right. my first two eighty six uh, it was a two x uh, two eighty six PC was a PC Limited, and I loved it. That's right. So oh yeah, trip down, trip down memory lane. But um, and actually, you'll probably have a lot to say about this. You know, just vis a vis Dell is that you know while Dell has reinverted has really reinvented itself as kind of a um, a behemoth around services on a variety of different levels. I mean, they're hard, you know, they still have a tremendous uh, foundation in hardware, and innovation is certainly not dead at, at, at Dell with some of the things they've done over the past few years. I mean, I tend to look at their ultralight notebooks, the XPS 13, which has been one of the big, big hits for them over the last few years. But they've done some remarkable job, a remarkable job even uh, in their legacy hardware business, correct? Yeah, so actually, I would argue that some of Dell's success as a company has come from the fact that They've reinvented their PC business, mm-hmm. and it. I think I, I forget what the number was, but it was something like twenty something quarters, thirty something quarters of continued growth in their in their PC business, which is insane if you think about it, because the PC market hasn't been growing. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty much flat to like shrinking single digits or growing single digits but it's effectively a flat market for the last five or six years right so the idea that the 
they're continuing to grow and take share in the PC market um, for so many quarters is kind of insane. Um, but that really stems from the fact that they are really executing on hardware extremely well. Um, they're building some of the best laptops out there um, for the Windows operating system. Mm-hmm. They've got their XPS 13s, the XPS 15s, and you know a lot of people might forget, but you know they own Alienware as well, as well right. which mm-hmm. is effectively the largest PC gaming brand on earth. Right. Uh, I think it's a three billion dollar run rate business now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean that's massive when it you is. think about it. So. Well, um, well, and if you peel that back, by the way, I mean, and, you know, we, of course, uh, you know, folks like us know this, but just their monitor business, their display business is a, you know, people it's take the largest. It's, the hu- it's huge. I mean, they are one of the the, the largest, if not the largest, the um, largest. Uh, um, supplier of panel, uh, not when I say panels of displays um, in the technology industry. It's, it's really, really remarkable. Yeah, they were mean? actually the first with an 8K um, OLED display right have you have you had a chance to play with that yet by the way i mean are they shipping that i know they showed it at ces so they actually did ship it and i think it's now discontinued because they have other ones coming mm-hmm. um but they did they did ship it for like uh they started shipping in 2017 or 2018 mm-hmm. um but it's like a five thousand dollar monitor which is a bit niche but it's still awesome because it's 8k oled um it's great for photography but and I'm- um and I'm yeah. sure if we, and I'm sure on shelf, if we went to your house, you'd have 5K displays all around your house. I'm convinced that uh, I'm, it would be. I'm not, it would be. I'm not quite at that level. Although I do have a, <laughs> a new uh, 4K um, VR headset that I got from HP. Right. Well, and and, and I know you're gonna be you're gonna be opining on that very very shortly. It It'll literally be, launched today, so you can right. buy it today. It's 600 bucks, right. which is <clears throat> really good because it's effectively. Uh, half the weight of an HTC Vive and um, more than double the resolution. And it's very comfortable and it's much more compact and it's really designed for enterprise and high-end consumer usage. But what's awesome is um, it also comes at a really attractive price of $599 and it effectively uses... Um, only two cables, and there's none of those cameras you need to set up. You just plug it in and go. Right, that's which is a big a, deal. Yeah, that's going to be a very cool product to check out. That's going to be a, that's going to be an interesting thing. And and speaking for myself, uh, just so I um, can get something in here between you two guys, is that um, I was uh, at uh, the IFA uh, Global Press Conference event uh, last weekend in um, uh, Spain. It was in Andalusia. IFA is this big trade organization that does these fabulous events. I mean, you know, CES is at one level. IFA is like the Academy Awards. You know, it's like the, the New York Yankees, so to speak, of trade show events. I mean, in terms of the way they, um, they execute them and just the venues they, um, they, they, um, they produce them in. And the big news coming out, coming out of this event, and I know you, uh, both you will, <coughs> excuse me, and Anshul, you'll have an, uh, have an interesting um, view on this, is that it was announced at the event that both Huawei and Qualcomm, Cristiano at Qualcomm and Richard Yu at um, Huawei, will be the keynote speakers at IFA Berlin. So uh, I think that was uh, an interesting announcement. And, uh, you know, given all the 5G 
stuff, the settlement between uh, Apple and Qualcomm. That will be very, very interesting. Um, two very interesting keynotes for um, Berlin, and it's quite a coup for the Ethernet organization to really, you know, to real uh, two guys, two companies like that in. Any thoughts on Qualcomm and uh, Huawei over the last uh, few weeks? I'm sure. You, um, I shall. Well, I know. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, yeah, I know. Qualcomm, yeah. Go Qualcomm. ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, there was the whole Apple Qualcomm settlement, which. Both Pat and I have been extensively involved in with the press and giving quotations uh, about our thoughts. And yeah, I mean, the reality is, I think the the industry is much better off with mm-hmm. Apple and Qualcomm settling rather than bickering. Yep. So, um, you know, I think both companies' stock prices went up on that announcement. And um, I think, you know, ultimately the Qualcomm and uh, uh, Apple relationship is going to continue for the next few years. But the end result is really Apple wants to build their own modems. And that's right. kind of always been the plan. So um, I think, you know, it's a, a temporary truce is the way I put it. Right. That's, that's, that's an interesting read, though, Anshel, in that just because they settled, I mean, at the end of the day, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, uh, Apple really didn't have many choices unless they wanted to really fall behind dramatically with a 5G, a 5G play over the next year or so with the next iteration of iPhone. Um, you know, they really didn't have many choices, frankly. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I'm not sure our partnership with, with Huawei was in the offing for a couple of different reasons. And um, even the Intel relationship, I'm not sure that uh, there was a view that they felt uh, that Intel was competitive with the, uh, comp, uh, the, comp, uh, the uh, Qualcomm offering but you know what it, what is you know you're just 30 seconds on what made apple capitulate is it, is it was it those two core reasons or do you see other rationale so i think um i think that the legal essentially the the the, the rulings that had happened prior to the san diego case plus the fact that intel was behind mm-hmm. i think drove Apple back to the bargaining table, and I think I know when that happened. Um, and I, I think it's because you know, I, because I was I'm so involved in in the, the whole modem industry, and I work with pretty much all the companies involved. I got a real sense that Apple came to the table after they lost a couple of those suits, because it really established the value of Qualcomm's IP to the degree where you know a lot of these people who were on the jury, you know, I, I looked at the jury and I realized. And I think Apple did too. Was a lot of these people, even if they threw out half of the potential jurors, mm-hmm. a lot of these people actually have experience in the wireless industry because San Diego is such a huge wireless hub that Town, even if right. people have never worked for Qualcomm, they've done something else in wireless. And as a result, these people really understand the value of Qualcomm's IP, which was effectively what was at stake here. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, I think Apple realized that they, you know, with the Intel stuff and the previous cases and the jury that was going to potentially be chosen, mm-hmm. I think they realized that the damage to them was actually significantly greater if they had lost this lawsuit. Plus, right. the, you know, the FTC lawsuit still hasn't actually been, um, you know, decided by the, the judge. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what they were hoping for was to get an early ruling on that. And they didn't get it. So right. I think that was all those factors combined really kind of locked us down to where they had to settle. 
Well, and I think the most telling thing was is that, and uh, you probably have the slot, the image plastering your brain on shell, was that um, slide th that was uh, in the opening arguments of the Qualcomm team showing, you know, Apple's revenue, you know, going up like a skyrocket over a period of time, and Qualcomm's revenue staying flat over a period of time. You know, you, you know what I'm referring to. There was that, uh, and I don't know whether that yes. leaked. Whether that leaked I or whether that became, I mean, I mean, that would probably have a fairly substantial impact on any juror, even if they were not, you know. I mean, them. yeah. I think, I think some of the other really interesting things were like Apple was publicly saying that Qualcomm's technology wasn't the best or relevant, and then internally they had emails saying that it was the best. Right. So there was a lot of disingenuous behavior, um, and I think part of the problem with Apple's case was. You know, they were claiming certain things, but then they were privately saying separate things. And that just doesn't really bode well for your case. And I don't really know if consumers are really going to feel bad for Apple if they have to pay more for something, considering Apple's reputation for having expensive products. Mm -hmm. So, Will, um, in terms of the Huawei, because that's like one of the greatest technology soap operas of all time, the way that they're kind of viewed in the U.S. press and the way they're viewed in the United States. And, you know, they, had, they just had a big quarter, by the way, not too long ago. So the, their business obviously is not collapsing. But they still kind of suffer from this kind of, you know, bad guy reputation, whether it's deserved or not. You know, you, we, could, you could, we could all debate that. Um, but what, what's your thoughts on Huawei over the last uh, just vis-a-vis -vis 5G? And just, you know, are they, uh, are they doing some good work to try to shore up their reputation? Well, I was at their uh, their analyst summit, Mark. You know, several weeks ago, and um, they are making a, a tremendous investment in R and D. I mean, they about fifteen percent of their gross revenue is uh, you know is reinvested back in R and D. They're one of the top uh, patent portfolio holders. I think they're they rank in the top five uh, within the EU when you kind of compare them to the EU. Um, they certainly have an end to end um, set of solutions. Um, their consumer business, their phone and tablet um, device business continues to grow, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, their carrier business is flat. Mm hmm. I think we have lost Will. Will, are you there? Anshel, I think we lost. Uh, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Will. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, the other thing I'll note too is just their investment in custom silicon. Um, they're they're wanting to put uh, artificial intelligence, you know, hardware solutions into every networking infrastructure product uh, that they deliver as a key differentiator. Uh, you know, whether whether you believe that's going to give them a competitive advantage or not, it's it's a pretty bold, aggressive move. Mm-hmm. Anchel, your thoughts on Huawei? So I, I think. If you look at what Huawei has accomplished as a smartphone manufacturer, it's quite amazing. I, I've i been following Huawei for a considerable amount of time. And, you know, their their phones were always kind of these, you know, mid-tier devices uh, that were pretty affordable and popular in a lot of places, but not really considered flagships. Mm -hmm. And over the last three years, they've gone from not really a brand that people considered competitive with Apple and Samsung to a brand that one would, might even argue that Apple and Samsung are, are trying to catch up with. Um, I think the new Huawei P30 Pro is a good example of that. Um, you know, it has the best camera system of any phone um, I think anyone's ever seen anywhere. And 
it's going to be really interesting to see how everybody catches up to what they were able to accomplish with that phone. Not to mention the fact that the performance and the display and a lot of other things on the device are also quite good. So I think they've really come a long way as as far as, you know, a smartphone manufacturer. You know, they're now number two in terms of market share as well. So, you know, they've really shown that while they do have the best high-end phones or at least competitive ones, they also have, you know, the, the business size and sales to back it up as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, there's certainly still a, 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 I don't think behemoth is an unfair word, um, and uh, they are forced to be oh. reckoned with, correct? Well, over a hundred billion, yeah, over a hundred billion in U.S. you know revenue annually, and they continue to to climb, you know. And you know, Anshul was talking about their leadership at the high end on smartphone devices. Not an area that I cover as an analyst for the firm, but um, I will add, you know, when when I was there for uh, their analyst summit, got a got a kind of a distant peek, you know, at their Mate X, which is their foldable product. Um, I don't know. I mean, Anshul can probably he probably has the, the latest on this, but. I don't believe that they've delayed any plans. I know Samsung has had some issues with reviewer concerns on on the hinge mechanism, but mm-hmm. uh, it seems to me that Huawei is still moving forward with uh, an available, you know, available launch window of sometime calendar late to Q. Does that sync up with what you know, Anshul? Yeah, I think that they're still in that time frame. But to be fair, they also have a later, you know, delivery date, right? Because Samsung was trying to ship last month. And uh, Huawei was trying to ship two or three months later, so that maybe gave them more time. But that might also be partly because they were trying to be more conservative on their delivery date because of the, you know, maybe they don't have things as worked out as Samsung thought they did. Um, But, yeah, it's really interesting to see them grow. And I think you also went on this tour while we were in China um, to their new R&D facility, which was a trip. Uh, it was right. the trippiest, trippiest experience I've had in a long time because mm-hmm. the entire facility is effectively uh, recreated cities in Europe. So each yep. little village or each section of the campus is themed after a different European city, which was a, you know, is an experience on its own. Yeah, apparently the founder, Mr. Wren, is a, a fan of European architecture. And I got to tell you, Mark, uh, it makes Epcot look like a child sandbox. Sandbox. I mean, it's, yeah, I can the imagine. Scale, the I can scale imagine. Is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think right. Ansel and I shared pictures. I think on on Twitter and on uh, social media. Uh, and before we get it, we only have a couple minutes left here. But I know, uh, Will, you wanted to talk about another event that you um, participated in. You had some thoughts. Yeah. Uh, you know, very briefly. So a few weeks ago, um, I attended DevNet Create. Uh, DevNet is a developer organization um, behind Cisco, and they've been around about five years. Um, this was my second uh, CREATE event to attend. They hold this annually. In the last two years, it's been at the uh, Computer History Museum in Mountain View, which if you haven't visited, and if you're a, a tech nerd like the three of us are, highly recommend that. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But what, you know, what I continue to be impressed with Cisco is that um, they're really using their uh, their developer developer ecosystem as a key competitive advantage. I mean, they have close to 600,000 developers that are developing on top of both Meraki and Cisco Gear. And you know, where where that comes into play is innovation. And um, you know, you know, a switch is a switch, an AP is an AP. But um, these folks are they're they're developing solutions that really kind of 
take advantage and, and sort of take the functionality um, to another level. And um, I think you'll continue to see innovation, um, you know, come out of that group. And I got to meet with four or five recipients of awards this year. And, and overwhelmingly, you know, the, the two common things I heard from them were, one, um, Cisco makes it easy to, uh, you know, to, de to develop uh, on their platform. And number two, Cisco's done a great job of organizing all of the tools that are required to be a developer, providing sandboxes uh, for, for development and test and tools and that sort of thing. So it takes the, it takes the monotony and the tedium out of developing uh, and, and software coding and really allows more time for innovation. And um, and I, I think you know that that's that, that's a tremendous you know tremendous benefit. And the other thing you know, as as a former channel person, Mark, you know, you and I worked at Compact for a number of years. Um, I believe it's going to give them an advantage in the channel because mm -hmm. um, HPE is running their products through the the IT distribution channel. So is Cisco. Aruba's got a great developer community. It's they call themselves the Airheads. They're about 100,000 developers strong, and they're doing great stuff as well. But when you compare that to the scale of what Cisco is doing, that could potentially create stickiness. And so, you know, um, channel partners, systems integrators, value-added resellers, they might tend to, to lead with Cisco before they do another offering just because they have all that developer support behind them. Just a hypothesis on, on, my, on my part, but I think that could really that could create some stickiness for, for Cisco and Meraki in the channel. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, that was an interesting, uh, interesting discussion, guys. And you know, I appreciate uh, well you calling in from the lavish location of where you ever you are, as the people knock uh, coffee cups. Denver, Denver, Colorado, for the big five G event. Yeah, beautiful yeah. Den Denver, Colorado. And Anshel, again, thank you for calling in, uh, and um, thanks to everyone in the More Insights and Strategy audience. Uh, please follow More Insights and Strategy on our usual social media suspects. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And until next week, thanks for tuning in.